Welcome to another cracking Green and Gold Rugby podcast, sponsored by strike.com.au. Go to the website, get yourself a car kit to hold your iPhone, use the Green and Gold Rugby safe word, get yourself a discount. Uh, Matt Rowley here. I've got Hugh Cavill. Mate, how are you? Oh, look, I'm okay. I've I've picked up a bit of a cold, as I might be able to come through on on the microphone. I mean, Mm. I just had a bit of... Uh, went out for dinner last night, you know, a few too many drinks, and I shouldn't be reporting it to you guys because I know it's it's pretty unprofessional three days out before a Saturday, but uh, <laughs> we've got no rules, no curfew, so that should be okay. <laughs> mate, um, that's the best way to treat a cold, I find, anyway. And, and Timsy, how are you, mate? Good, good, I'm good. I went home early, so I'm fine. Uh-huh. Timsy. He's, he's, right, he's, he's turned himself around, hasn't he, Tims? After, I have turned uh, myself around. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking pretty thin these days on the Twitter and stuff. What's going on? Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I actually, uh, yeah, I lie. Last week was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I had a week off the training and a uh, week in the bars. So. On the source. Okay. Yes. I made a trip to Sydney. No one came to visit. I didn't let many people know, so that probably helped. But yeah, uh, I went yeah. to Baxter's. Have you, I don't know if you've been to Baxter's? It's not an advertising thing or anything. But no. What, what, great selection of whiskeys. Oh, oh yes, I've heard about this. All right, so you're mm. saying it's a place to get to. If, if I'd say so, yes. If you've got nothing if else you like to do whiskey. the next day. <laughs> yes. yeah, um, nothing else to do that weekend, because I go home early. Well, speaking of the whiskey, um, but um, actually we might hold off the shenanigans till a little bit later. Um, later on in the podcast, people uh, tuning in now going, where the hell's the guest? Later on the podcast, we have um, Tony McGann, Totality Tony. Um, out of the Wallabies now, running the Rebels. Uh, nice uh, little interview coming up there. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the Rebels and his time at the Wallabies. So stay tuned for that. But in, before we get there, uh, we've got a bit to cover off. We've got, first of all, the um, first time this year we've won two tests in a row. Um, so against the against Ireland. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the score was now. Was it 32-15, 30-15? Yeah, it's a 70-point win, so it must 32, be 32-15. 32-15, there we go. Um, trounced them, four tries to nil. Um, you know, did, uh, did look, really did, well. Other than other than the Argentina game, which was a bit of an mm. anomaly, when was the last time we scored four tries to nil? To nil, it, yeah. It, oh, yeah, good good point. Fucking yeah. ages. If you're raking back to the World Cup, I'd imagine one of the... Did we... Russia or someone or one of yeah. the one of the minnows there, but e- either way, it's still a pretty good achievement against a decent yeah. side. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So what do we take away from this game? We think it was a uh, back know, on track. Everything's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, some people, you know, you've got the usual people saying, "Ah, oh, the island was shit." So how much can we take out of it? Uh, <laughs> no, fuck those guys. Um, I. It's funny because uh, you know the natural instinct with a lot of Australian rugby fans is after any win. Even especially in these last couple of years, well, the first step is to deride the opposition. Well, no, it's it's the opposite. It's go, oh well, I'm not getting carried away. It's only Argentina. Oh, it's only Italy. Let's not get carried away. I think this is the first time, and I've kind of been in that boat too. You know, you you can't get too carried away with wins over the smaller nations. But this is the first sort of reasonably big scalp uh, that we've put away and put away pretty well. So Mm. it's hard not to crack a smile at least, and and. 
it's a pretty good sign that what what Link is doing is starting to really have an effect because it was a pretty complete performance. Yeah, no, it looked pretty good. Timsey, where are you on this boat? Mate, I work with an Irishman, so it's great. Has <laughs> <laughs> it shut him up? Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's just good. Good good time to be a Wallaby fan. Yeah. You know what, though? I... Yeah, the Kiwis start, and it's like, oh, shut up, we beat Ireland. Yeah, well, it's, it's, there's a duality there with, with um, Irish supporters. Because so, we also had that uh, Rob Carney photo essay. Um, yeah, it pe- upset people, that did. It did, doesn't it? So, I mean, Irish people, you know, um, have got to be some of the nicest people you can meet, have a beer with. Um, you know, I've watched rugby over there a few times. Just fantastic times. And a uh, little too easy to stay on the source, obviously. Um, but It happens to the it, best of us. It can happen. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I do find online, you know, if you have a bit of a jibe at them, which I think you found out, Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a vendetta can sneak up on you very quickly. So, anyway, it uh, can put people's noses out of joint. Um, I guess I did a bit of video analysis during the week. I thought, actually, a lot of it was down to our pressure. I think we did a great job. Um, you know, I thought the first plank in the Irish game plan was going to be bomb, bombing us to death. And Izzy, my God. God, I, I don't, I've never seen anybody in rugby take balls like that. Oh, he uh, took a specky off Sanchez, didn't he? Oh, my God. You know, actually, you look at the replay of that, and Sanchez almost completely headbutts um, King Hits Quaid. Quaid just gets his arms up because um, Sanchez gets pushed into him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that completely neutralised that. Our line speed was fantastic, so we were shutting down you know, their attack, and then we dicked them in the scrum. Um, so, you know, basically, I think everything went out the window for them. Uh, I think it had a lot to do with us, actually. Um, what was your kind of favourite part of, of the whole display there, Timsey? Four tries? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, well, my actual favourite was uh, the the set-piece move that uh, Quaid scored off. All those options yeah. slice straight through. Nice. It was good to see Beautiful. that. Thing. My my favourite was the uh, the ten man mall. I, I really like that as a play. Oh, no, it's such nice. a it's a real all in too. It's a real kind of you know you fuck that lineup up, or you know that ball goes to ground and you know you, you could be in some real trouble if you lose the ball. Mm. But uh, it's it, I just like it. It shows a bit of endeavour. And, and, and in my um, piece on the website, that's that's how I kind of boiled the game down to. In the end, mm. we had you know. We won because we we chanced our arm in 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 their twenty two, and Ireland did the exact opposite. They just mm. picked and drive and picked and drive. Where we scored tries from backline moves, we scored tries from running it wide, we scored tries from chancing our arm. So that I mean that's another positive for us. It's and it was the opposite of the Pommy loss, right? Where we thought we'd just kick our way, um, you know, just hoof it to glory, and uh, here we did the opposite. And look, look what happened. It was great. That's right. You know, it's the Australian style. Mm. Um, so and, other. T- other talking points that <laughs> other talking points that have come out of that. Obviously, today we've learned that Tavita Kuradrani, I think he's been banned from ever playing again. Is that right? Um, <laughs> by the IRB for this tip. Five hundred years or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but what, what, it was eight weeks plus one minus four or something. So he's ended up with five weeks um, off for this tip, as well as a red card. Um, it, it, it's a two games, isn't it? Plus the preseason for games for the Brumbies. Is that, that do I, have I done the maths correctly? Because yeah, if I can work I out what five plus three back. plus minus two is, mm-hmm. he should be back round round one of the of the super season. Mm. Which 
I'd be very surprised if the ARU appeal that. Uh, I think that's you know ah. what? So they're going to get it reduced from from five down to three. Well, he still misses the te- two tests anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't give a fuck about the Brumbies trials next year, and I don't think they'd even play him to be honest. Mm. After no, he's he's played enough Brumbies this year. He'll be right. Yeah. Mm. So, but is it justified? I mean, you know, come on. I mean. I mean, what, there's guys who got done for eye gouging earlier this year. I don't think you know. I think they got similar sentences. Is this is this, is this where we're at, where we're, where we're at with these sort of tackles? Was it that dangerous a tackle? Now, Hugh, you're qualified ref. Give us your verdict. <laughs> oh, look, it, it, it look you look at it in the grand scheme of things. It probably wasn't that dangerous. His he his head was on the ground. He had his arms down. I don't know really how much damage it could have done. But you just, I mean, you just have to know by now if you're a test player. Don't try and tip them over the horizontal. Yeah. It's just basic. And mm. I, I kind of feel like, he, you know, five weeks probably a little bit stiff, but I think it was probably three weeks. Five weeks isn't out of the realm of possibility. Mm. And that's the way these go with tip tackles. They take them very seriously. Mm. And um, I think he'd be kicking himself for doing it in the 73rd minute when the game was won because, I mean, you know, and the bloke was already tackled either as well. It, it, was, a, it was a real brain fade from Kuradrani. And oh, so he, he's a little bit hard done by, but not too much. Can we just not say brain fade? Can we say brain fart? I, I, <laughs> I'd much prefer. Timsy, your verdict on it? Yeah, well, there was a few people around. Mm. I just think, you know, mm. it's, yeah, it's probably a bit harsh, but, uh, yeah, as, as Hugh you know, wisely states there, it's not like it's uh, something new that they brought in without telling anyone. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like you're going, you're going along with it. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think of other talking points. I mean, who, what players really impressed you, uh, Hugh? Oh, look, it's hard to actually single out one because oh. I, I think across the board everyone had a good game. I mean, you know, a few blokes slipped under the radar. Like I thought Ben Rowan had a really good game. I mean, just oh. defended and defended and defended, made some really good tackles. Didn't do much with the ball but did what he had to. Oh. Uh I mean, you have to single out Quaid, I suppose, because I think this was this was the marker that you know, that he actually could stand up against good sides and and really proven that he's that he is you know here here to stay in the Gold Ten jersey. I think he's really nailed that down now, and and that performance was was probably the most complete I've seen from him. And he's just really gelled with Tamua nicely, which is a fantastic thing for us going forward because they're still pretty young. Mm. I mean, I think you made a comment. Uh, on one in in one of the articles there, saying that you you know you, you saw Matt Tamura as sort of a combination between sort of Pat McCabe's toughness and then like a Giddo um, sort of thing. Was that you made that comment? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, I think I think that resonated complete, with people. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's great to see. I mean, that, uh, and who would have thought at the start of the season where he was a pretty light, you know, he he was a lightish ten for the Brumbies, and to come out at the end of the season as as a as a plays a very heavyweight twelve. Well, I mean, it's just a fantastic thing to see. Mm. So, Tim, who stuck out for you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, it was a team performance. Uh, I thought I thought the back row worked well. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, they all they started to get a bit of balance about it. That probably helped. Uh, yeah, Quaid did a good job. Is he at the back? Obviously, the um, uh, who was it? What's the guy who threw the pass for? Oh yeah, Steve Barty. Moore. Steve Moore. Oh, Steve Moore. Speak, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, he, it was the team performance, except that Steve Moore nailed it. I mean, well, uh, well that, that, he, he was the team I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't even mention Steve Moore anymore because he's just—it's just assumed now yeah. that that he's he's one of our better players. The one guy I actually forgot to single out, and I, I will, is James Slipper. I thought James Slipper was really good, and you see those scrum dominance. A lot of that came through him, and mm. he was a bloke I thought was was kind of plateauing. 
uh, on his season if he, if if he had even reached a height enough to plateau. Uh, and I was wondering what Link was doing with him, and I thought Benny Robinson deserved a shot, but he he stood up on Saturday, and, and so he probably deserves to keep his spot, and especially with Benny Robbo on the uh, given the boot for this week. Do you know? I I do think so. Just talking about the scrum for a bit. Um, you know, I threw a few scrums into the analysis. I didn't have enough time even to put arrows on them, which I think um, might have just a few, disappointed a few people. But I couldn't go through all the scrums either. I mean, those scrums at the back end of the match where we only had seven on the field and we were still dominating was pretty amazing. Um, I think I'm starting to see what people, are, what coaches are seeing in Tamani. The, the power that he puts through the side of his scrum, I think, is pretty fierce. Uh, and and then when you've got Robbo on at the same time, they were, they were just like an all... And then and Taff as well pushing through the middle. So that was quite amazing. The one thing I'll say is, um, you know, we all, everyone went on about uh, our scrum and how crap it was against the Poms and got dished up. And, you know, even in the scrums where we did do okay against the Poms and then got penalised, you know, it was like, well, you know, you know, we, we, you know, we shouldn't be mucking around and, and, and like, you know, lay ourselves open for penalties. Well, you know, you watch what we did against the Irish. I mean, we really sucker punched them. I mean, you know, we did, to a large part what the Poms did to us. We did a bit of wheeling, we did a bit of pushing across and those sorts of things. But, you know, the difference was we got away with it and we looked fantastic. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think the scrum hasn't quite been as bad as a lot of people have hammered it for the last few games, but I do think it's got better and it was great to see it finally dominate uh, on the weekend. What a difference that made. I think I thought that was huge. Um, so, you know, fair dues. And then the, the, the easy one... Yeah, those high balls look great, but he, he's also good in defence this time. Um, he's starting to he's starting to get those one on ones, um, and obviously his positional play is a lot better. So, I, I thought his performance was a lot better than it's been in the in, in the past. So, so that was great. So anyway, that that's the that's the match. That was uh, pretty impressive. We all thought that was pretty good. And then, so God, what, what day did this break? Was it Tuesday? Um, yeah. The news, yeah, yesterday, yeah, Tuesday, um, which is, was a week later. So, and in case you've been hiding under a rock, apparently the Wallabies had Wednesday off leading up into the Irish Test, and so on the Tuesday night, um, different guys and different groups went out, and some guys, you know, got back, you know, probably had a beer over dinner and got back and uh, before midnight or whatever else, and uh, and then it sounds like there was one group, which is the group of guys who've going to get banned this weekend who are not playing this weekend um so that's like the honey badger uh adam ashley cooper uh, who else is in there liam gill and then it's basically the tars front row um sounded like they stayed out later tanked up on a few beers and, and got in well after midnight is i we read in the paper and then there were other groups who were in between so what's happened is those six aren't playing this weekend against wales or i think it's is it Palmer's had it? Not Palmer. Um, Patty. Patty Ryan Patty. had it def- deferred a week because we've got to have four four props. Um, I but, wouldn't expect him to get much game time though. Yeah, and then uh, and then there's another nine guys who've got either verbal or written warnings, um, and I think all fifteen of those guys have been have been have been penalised. I think sanctioned from from a money perspective. So that's like fifteen out of the twenty three um, who, who who got sanctioned. Um, it's kind of pretty. It's kind of gobsmacked everybody. There's loads of talking points that's come out of it. Um, we've now got people in the press. Um, um, Adam Ashley Cooper's family, in various ways, um, have been in the media um, uh, saying that actually there was no curfew and there was no banning on drinking. So what the hell? Um, 
where do you where do we come down on this, Timsey? Um, you know, is it is it come on? This is a bit harsh on a few guys who just went out and had a couple of beers, or is it fair dues, Link? You got to put a line in the sand. Yep, fair dues. Yeah. I'm happy with it. I, I I applaud it. Oh right, okay. <laughs> Basically, the same people who are saying it's too harsh are the same ones who bitch and moan when people get away with too much. So he's been tasked with setting this new culture, and clearly. There's a there's a level of understanding about what's expected, so fucking do it. Mm. Don't do it. You, no one's above it. I think you know if he would have he would have suspended everyone if he had to. Obviously, that would have made things the game <laughs> difficult. But I mean, I, I can fly over if you need someone. But yeah. you know, it's uh, it it shows that you know six people suspended. But, but it's, it's a pretty clear message. But here's the thing, right? So, but fifteen people did the wrong thing. And I think, as somebody said in one of the comments to, um, today, I think on on one of the stories on the site, you know, it was the, was there a communication problem there somewhere? If fifteen people didn't realise they were breaking a curfew or drinking when they shouldn't have been, I mean, yeah, um, I mean, the, obviously, uh, through piecing together various sources uh, that are present about this, hmm. obviously, the rule was a bit vague. Obviously, there was a st- there was a they didn't break so much a rule as they broke a, a standard. Uh, I think, from my understanding of it, is you know obviously Tuesday night is team dinner night. Wednesday they have the day off. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the, you know, you have a few wines. You're allowed to have a few wines with dinner, and there's an understanding that you could probably have a beer or two after, and come home at a reasonable hour. Mm-hmm. Now, I suppose the definition of a reasonable hour is fairly fluid, and uh, by all accounts, these guys got back a little bit beyond. Uh, a reasonable hour. I, I think it's an interesting one. I, I think the timing is also pretty relevant in terms of where this tour sits, in terms of Link's reign, in terms of the season itself. I mean, it's it it's a great chance for Link to stamp his authority and to set a standard early in his tenure at a time where it really doesn't matter. I mean, six blokes missed the game against Scotland. I mean, so fucking what? Mm. Not that Scotland are a bad team, but more in the sense that these two games coming up are fairly meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you know, the, no one looks back on the end of year tour uh, at the Tri Nations next, at the Rugby Championships time next year, and, and rates our form on that. It's kind of just a nice way to finish the season, and, and no one really carries too much over into the next year. Mm. So I think even if we were to lose these two coming games, it really, in the grand, as, as, as Lick would say, I think in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean too much. So, I think he's chosen now is the time to crack down because it, it yeah it allows him to show his you know show his claws mm-hmm. and also in, in at a time where it's not really going to affect uh, the overall results the overall flow of the team. Yeah, well, one of the things you do notice uh, in these situations, though, I mean, you know, number one was Quade Cooper, right? In, you know, not on, not on the naughty list, um, which I think is in keeping with everyone's. The sort of behaviour everyone's been seeing from him looks like he's kind of reborn. There, um... <laughs> although I did laugh at the comment that someone made on the website that oh no, Quaid had passed out by eight thirty. So <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting because the, 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 there seems to be a couple of kind of different camps there. Um, you know, you notice that like a lot of the, the Polynesian guys don't seem to be involved in that, and I think that's you know partly cultural thing and those. But I mean, you know, you, what does that do for the you know for the for the sense of team? I guess it's it's an interesting one. Um, as, you know, as far as that going forward, but look at the end of the day, you know, you've, you've got to think. You know, Link's got to be able to stamp some authority here somewhere and draw a line. 
if he feels you know those guys have gone over the line and they need to set a few standards, then I like you say, kind of now's the time to do it. Um, and that you know, I think we don't hear a lot of what goes on, obviously. Um, and you know, this is him kind of putting his foot down. Um, but uh, yeah, my sense is a lot of people have taken more positive out of it actually, than rather than calamity. I think you know people would rather hear about it this way than hear about I don't know some story leak out in a week's time that you know yet another escapade was being got up to sort of thing. If you see what I mean? Yep. Um, I mean, I think there's the issue. The the sort of next issue is what Rupert are, Rupert are trying to push for as well. In that you know. The full story hasn't come out yet, and that you know the word transparency I've seen on on one of the blogs where you know I don't think a rugby team necessarily has to be transparent, no, but in, in certainly not giving the full details, it allows it all to come out in dribs and drabs and and rumours and and this and that, which I don't mm. think is entirely healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's it, there's gonna you know there's gonna be the full story come out eventually as to you know who did what and who was with what and how mm. that got back to the coaches. Mm. But you know, I think um, that's probably the one way I think it could have been handled a little, little better. But mm. yeah, maybe that's just me. I, I just find it hard to believe. So because well, it's hard to square a few things up. The two bits of the facts that I'm struggling with is, on the one hand, Link hasn't been the sort of guy who's been some sort of dictatorial, you know, dragon like at, at the Reds, for example, right? I mean, his whole things have been about you know listening to Gen Y and. You know how you do, how you build people up, and you know you look at where he's got Quaid from and to um, recently. So he's not the sort of guy who's been you know iron fist, you know kind of um, you know weird judgments out of the blue. Yet on the other hand, I just jeez, I find it strange that 15 guys would get it wrong. Um, you know, so they're the two things I'm having trouble squaring up. The only way I can justify it, and the only the only way I can think it through, is that he he's not that type of person that will. Uh that rules with the Iron Fist, but you've got to think about it. He's coming with a certain set of expectations. He's been given a certain mandate to, to make the change to the culture, get the Aussie style going, all that sort of nonsense. Mm. He's clearly not getting the results that he wants. He's got to do something. He's got to, he's got to make a bold statement and say, you're either in or you're out. Mm. Uh, and it, it, timing-wise, you know, it's correct. It's the end of season. You know, it's against Scotland. It's probably, you know, we've already got two two wins in a row. We haven't done that all year. So, you know, there's probably a bit of a, an opportunity to, you know, have a have a go, draw that line in the sand, make the bold statement, get everyone to take notice and say, this is how it's going to be. You know, I, I'm happy to, you know, work with you. And, yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got track record of playing that person, you know, with someone like Quaid and turning him around. But the fact of the matter is... I can't do that to all of you, so let's get the shit sorted. Mm. So, look, looking ahead to Scotland, then, um, you know, we we don't know the team, right? It hasn't been announced. But has anyone's? Has it, I mean, Baba, in your travels, have you seen somebody who's put what looks like the likely team together um, around somewhere, or have you got some ideas on who, who we're likely to see then? Considering, no, I mean, I haven't seen any likely teams. I mean, mm. I think a lot of the rugby journals have been focused on what happened last week, but. I can't see Link messing with the combinations too much. I think he's sort of put his cards on the table with what the team he wants to play, and I can't see him taking the foot off the pedal against Scotland, mm-hmm. given our previous record with him. We've lost our last two. So, um, they are the bogey it, team. So the thing, let's, let's, let's think through it, right? So front row, um, no changes there from the starting. So you've got Slipper, um, you know, S- S- Slipper, um, Squeaky, 
and uh, Sakopi. So th- th- every week, I think we should be resting Stephen Moore, but every week he comes out and plays better. So I, I think we'd be <laughs> bad to at this stage. Okay, so we've got those guys, or Benny Alexander if he's back, but I don't know. I think, you know, why would you change what worked so well last week? Second row-wise, Jimmy Horwell's still there. Um, so is Rob Simmons. No reason, to, you know, they don't need changing. What, what's, what's the consensus here? Is, is Jim getting better? Uh, Jimmy Horwell? yeah, yeah. I don't know, mate. I, I, you do know, you think the, do you think the burden of the captaincy being removed is improving his form? I... Marginal. I, mean, we're, we're I not... think it's always hard as a tight second row to stand out. I don't think he's playing badly, but I think he looks like he needs a rest. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just wondering. Well, what do you think, mate? Yeah. No, I, I don't think we've seen the the uh, huge leaps and bounds, but. Mm. Uh... I I just hope it's not a physical thing that. You know, he's just never going to make it back from that hamstring, which was a horrible injury. I mean, I just hope, you know, I hope that um, that's not the case. But uh, so there's, yeah, okay, so those two guys should be there. Fardy's okay, right? So he was in, I think he was in, like, one of the warned groups, um, you know, because they, they found him playing Russian roulette somewhere with a bottle of vodka. Um, <laughs> um, with a yes. beard like that, he can do what he wants. Exactly. Um, so he's in. Ben Moen, he's he's in. Michael Hooper, he's in. So I mean, basically. Well, Gilly's out, so he's in. Yeah, right. Okay. So it's really, it's really bench that we're talking about. In, in, yeah, and that's the thing. And back three. Well, and, you, and, you've got and two new wingers. You've got no We've lost Kuru and Drani. So oh, yeah, you'd okay. think with that much of a shake-up, you'd think Ewan would keep the nine, ten, twelve combination. Mm. Thirteen. I mean, Mike Harris is there. You've got Chris F. Sartia. You've also got Christian Lilafano, who might slot into thirteen. Um, and then you've got the wingers would be one with them would be Tamani and the other one. I'm not sure. You've you've probably got F Sartia maybe. Mm. Um, Peter Beetham is on the plane at the moment, yeah. get, getting over there, so that might be also someone you'd expect to see maybe on the bench. Mm. Okay. So there you go. Alrighty. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty decent team to take on Scotland. I mean, they are our baggy team, but there's no reason why we can't put the first pack out. And I think that's going to be most important. Um, Alrighty, well, I think, I mean, we just about talked about everything, haven't we? There you go, solved all the world's problems. Fixed. Okay, shall we, um, let's get on um, our guest then, and uh, have a yarn, see what he thinks. So joining me now, I've got uh, Tony McGann, head coach of the Melbourne Rebels. Mate, how are you? I'm not Good, mate. Look, so how how are you finding settling into Melbourne? Have you lived down there before at all? No, no I haven't lived down there before. Been down a few times, like most people down to uh, what was your rules or family or, or anything like that. So, but look, we've enjoyed. It's been great, and the last two days we've had two uh, days with sun out, so it's been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been better than Sydney of late. But, um, mate, so and have you got? Is your, is your family down there, and are you guys all kind of settling in and stuff? No, I'm just down here by myself at this point in uh, time. I uh, I came down August 1 uh, to start and sort of had a seven-week block there and then uh, players had annual leave, so I went back to Richmond for four weeks to catch up with the family and then uh, came back down after that and been down here for the last five weeks and sort of making my way back uh, every sort of second weekend at this stage and with uh, the family to arrive uh, January 4th just after Christmas, which will be uh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah, well, so I guess that leaves you with nothing to do but work at the moment, so you're probably uh, hitting it pretty hard, eh? 
Yeah, it is. It's uh, look, it's always, it's always a busy season, any time for any sort of professional sport through the off season, and uh, you know, we have a lot of new staff here, and they're they're. they're uh, Wife, uh, no wives and no kids, so it's sort of been a great opportunity for everyone to get stuck in and get a lot of work done at this this stage of the season. Okay, mate. Well, look, before we start talking about the Rebels, I just wanted to maybe go back in time a little bit. And for those yeah. people who might not know uh, a bit of your background, how did you first get into coaching? What, what was the transition for you? Did you go from playing or was it from something else? Yeah, look, I, yeah, I, had a, I, had a, I played a bit and then I ended up... Uh, going back and, and, and teaching at uh, Nudgee College in Brisbane where I went to school and um, you know started coaching with regard to the first 15 there and uh, just basically worked my way through you know various schools I went to Churchy uh, Anglican Church Grammar School and coached first 15 there and then um, a few rep sites uh, you know through the way through Queensland School Boys Australia A etc and then uh, went back and coached club at the same time with East in Brisbane at um along with the church at the same time, which was busy plus teaching. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lucky enough to get up with the Australian 19s and uh, the Queensland A program uh, to play a role in that and then ended up at uh, IBM in Japan for a year and then lucky enough to get to Munster and uh, from there back to Wallabies and there to the Rebels. So, uh, yeah, probably 1996, I've a long time ago at this stage, it seems to uh, have gone quickly like most good things. Yeah. So, mate, I mean, you're a key part of that trend of... Uh Aussie coaches uh, in Ireland. Um, how do you feel about that as a, as a, as a pathway? What, what what are the kind of benefits that you've seen out of that? In in Ireland, well, look, I, I was just really lucky. That was a good timing for, for me. Graham uh, Stedman was the uh, defence coach at that stage, a, a, a ex uh, league player, and he'd been seconded to the Irish uh, national side, and uh, I was lucky enough uh, to be in there at the right time. So. You know, Ireland and Australia got a great affinity across many areas, whether it's, uh, you know, culturally, socially uh, is a big one, obviously, and, uh, you know, travelling both both ends, you know, Australians over to Europe and certainly the Irish sphere migration over, back over to Australia for the last few years anyway. So mm. um, I was really lucky, and there's a lot of Australians over there. Obviously, you know, Les Kiss is there, Matt Williams has been there, uh, Jim Williams has had an association, Alan Gaffney, so... You know, Australian rugby, you know, both from the professional era and a lot of players have played over there, you know, in the amateur era as well. So I think there's a great affinity and certainly from my learning experience and time there, it was, uh, you know, very enjoyable. Okay. So, mate, look, focusing on the job you've got at hand now down at the Rebels, um, so what are your priorities going to be with the Rebels this year? Well, look, there's, there's, you know, the Rebels only been going three years as, as well now and so there's been a huge turnover of, of players and staff and you know playing wise I think there's four players from the original group that's put together with, with Rod McQueen and then you know 15 leaving from last year was leaves us with 20 so there's a huge turnover of player personnel I think you know a lot of good things have been put in place but I think our main direction at this stage is really you know our defence has been a really big focus for us mm-hmm. uh, over this pre-season and certainly fitness you know because I think, you know, watching a lot of the games there last year and, and recounting them, you know, in our reviews with the other coaches there, that, you know, the Rebels did play, you know, some really good rugby with the ball in hand, but certainly, you know, stopping the opposition is an area that we can, you know, certainly uh, improve on. And, you know, that, those sort of areas are continually ongoing to improve on that. So mm-hmm. that and the breakdown are our two big areas, and we think we get those two things nailed down with, you know, really strong work ethic and our fitness and our work rate that, 
you know, we'll be able to add and continue to, you know, add parts to our attack, but they're probably the three main things, fitness breakdown and certainly our defence. And with the defence, so obviously you've gone back and done a lot of analysis around it. Is it a systems thing? Is it a head and a heart thing or a combination? Where have you kind of put your finger down having had a look at the tapes and the numbers? Yeah, look, I think systems and, you know, what what uh, previous, you know, obviously with Nathan and, you know, John Numbuggleton, two, two very good coaches in their own right and two very good defence coaches. It's just a, a major area we could have picked to tackle anything, but that's probably the one that, that uh, you know, stands out for us at this point in time. So it's not really a system thing, it's just really... You know, being able to put time into it and be able to make sure that's a real clear focus and the players understand that from an attitudinal thing, mm-hmm. you know, as a group and as individuals and, you know, it's going to be a big part of our selection process as well that, you know, you, you need to contribute in that area and a lot of those areas in defence aren't real talent areas. They're more about work rate and attitude and maybe putting your body and head in some tough places. So we need to get a, you know, recognise that mm-hmm. and recognise how important it is because it gives us a really strong base like all winning sides, and we really need to make that a focus point for us. Okay. So if you were to describe the Rebels' playing style, if it all goes well this year, you know, what's it going to look like? Well, we're, we're a bit like, we're a bit like every, you know, most, most sides and most sports. The, the big thing is, you know, rugby at the moment is being able to win that breakdown area. So that really comes off the back of that, you know, really depends on how well you can play. You know, mm. you can have the the best plans of what you're going to get done, but if you're continually playing a slow ball, fractured ball, uh, or turning the ball over the opposition where they've got more ball than you, mm-hmm. you're going to be in trouble. So, you know, for us, we're really starting from the breakdown and working backwards from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we saw last year, we've got some really exciting players there, the Englishes, Woodwards, Higginbottoms, Sturzakers, etc. You know, they've got some real play in them. And, you know, Tommy Kingston coming in the play, Lepetti uh, Tamani coming in. You know, these guys with quick ball on the back of that, mm. you know, we need to add a lot of shape. There'll be certainly shape there, but, you know, if we get to get our breakdown stuff well and done correctly, then we're going to provide some great opportunities for those guys to really, um, you know, express themselves. So, mate, there seems to be people have kind of coaches put in two buckets. The, the coaches who say, look, uh, we play a certain way, and if we play that way well enough, no one will be able to keep up with us. Another set of coaches who kind of say, well, actually, I'd like to be able to adapt what I do depending on the opposition and, you know, be able to play at least a couple of different ways, maybe more. Where's your head in all of that? You know, do you get... Well, I, yeah, look, I think you know, I'm pretty, you know, uh, in my, my work, we're pretty... We'll, we'll do what we do, and you'll have to stop us is what we're really looking at. We'll have slight adaptations that you do, but... Mm. You know, I think those things sound great in theory and they sound great, you know, watching NFL and watching sides, being able to master that, um, you know, every week with a different game plan, a different approach. You know, I think generally you have a really strong fundamental base of what you base your game on, um, you know, both through the core areas of your game and the way that you set up your attack and defence and your breakdown structures. And I think you've got slight tweaks and then week to week, depending on opposition. Mm. But I think generally it's your formations and your belief in that, and that's what you practice all the way through the pre-season. And we're changing week to week on core areas. Um, you know, for us anyway, we want to send a strong message and one that's uh, consistent. And for us, we'll be worrying about ourselves and what we're going to deliver. So that sounds like a hell of a lot like uh, how Munster have done things and they haven't done too badly. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, you look at, uh, you know, a lot of successful sides in the past, you know, they've really, 
you know, got their own game in, in place. And I think that really makes it easy for the players that they've got a, a same message and a same philosophy. And you're giving the same work and same feedback back all the time that you can just concentrate on yourselves mm. you know, without being worried about the opposition. Sure, they'll, they'll deliver, but you know, if we do our things right on both sides of the, of the ball, then more times than not you're going to get that and saves that learning time and training time at the same time. So just staying on the talking about kind of Irish rugby for a second, obviously there was a good win for the Wallabies on the weekend. With your knowledge of Irish rugby and the players who are on the park there, when you watched the game, what do you think the Wallabies, what did the Wallabies do that worked so well tactically? Were there any key bits that you thought, oh yeah, they, they did their homework there and they've done a good job? Yeah, look, I was really, you know, to be honest, I was a pretty surprised by the, by the scoreline. I, I think, you know, the Island side currently is a really good side. They've got a really good coaching team there with Les Kiss. Um, you know, Plumtree's in there and obviously, you know, Joe, Joe Smith at the top there. They've got a really good coaching team. They've got a, a really good group of young players coming in, some really good middle, uh, middle-aged and experienced players with the Piro Mays have been around for, you know, three or four years now and then the older brigade. Uh, you know, just you'll see steps. So I was expecting, you know, a really, uh, you know, good game and a really good progressive game from the Samoa game from the Irish side. And, you know, mm. pretty disappointed. But I think, you know, Australia and the Wallabies and Ewan and the, and the coaching playing group leaders in particular need to take a lot of credit. That's a really uh, big win over there, you know, especially Ireland at home. They played with a lot of passion. They would have been very confident going into the game. But I think. Again, I think, you know, the Australian side certainly backed themselves on the area that they wanted to. I think you saw the ball getting to the, you know, the, the last 15 metres on the width side of the field, you know, really well and consistently, and they have some really good depth, and, you know, only comes with line speed, but a lot of, uh, you know, second phase play and ball at the back, really, you know, you've got Fardy Moore and these sort of guys really punching on. I thought they, were, they really got their angles and timing done well. I thought mm. their breakdown work again was... Um, you know, well led by the Ford pack, and I thought Benny Marwan and and uh, Michael Hooper in particular uh, were excellent in that. And I thought there was, you know, their best defence display for a while, which really again gave them a really strong cornerstone. They forced a lot of turnovers, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, so good defence, good turnovers, and that really made Ireland, I think, kick under pressure. Mm-hmm. And I thought Israel was absolutely fantastic at the back. It's been uh, you know, a long way that someone back there can really come forward and, and take that ball, which really allowed them on that front foot inside the island, you know, uh, defending area to launch another attack there. So I think those are the four key areas, and obviously off the back of a, a good set piece. So I'm really interested in your opinion on this because it's a it's a big discussion point with the guys who comment on the on the green and gold rugby is around Michael Hooper. And I think a lot of people are probably used to seeing Australian sevens really of the jackling style, um, you know, with the Pocock and uh, George Smith before him and, and these sorts of guys. Um, and Hooper doesn't seem to quite fit that mould, yet any coach who can get his hands on him in the last couple of years has wanted to play him. What are they seeing? What are these coaches seeing that maybe, um, you know, some of some of us uh, uh, couch potatoes aren't? Mm. Well, I think... You know, you just you just look at Michael's progression over the last couple of years. I think he was you know under twenty player of the year, Australian under twenty player of the year, rookie of the year last year, and he's a national player of the year this year. Like you don't get those three things with with without consistency and a, and, a, and a fair bit of talent. But I think the thing that Michael has, I think he's got a wonderful demeanour. He is you know a, a player who really learns very quickly. He really puts a lot of work back into his game, and you know I think you summed it up really well that we're probably being 
Royalton certainly have a certain, uh, you know, typical player that we seem to look at what a seven brings, you know, mm. with those players you mentioned before. And Michael's a very uh, intelligent guy, not to say the other guys aren't, but he certainly brings different levels. He's probably not as hard on the ball as what other players are, but what he brings, you know, through his uh, through his power, through his running game, through his link with the power and forwards, kick chase, you know, he's still, you know, obviously very good at the breakdown on both sides of the ball, but I think his ability to improve and be able to play that power game you know, on, on both sides, instead of just getting big and being big and lock onto the ball and stay there. Mm. You know, I think his ability to be able to shoot in low on his breakdown work on, on the attack side and defensively, he's so good on the inside, whether he's the first inside or second inside, to really, you know, take advantage of slow inside support and really put himself in a great position. So I think he really covers probably a lot more areas than probably being really dominant at one area. And I think, you know, his person, he's a pretty... Uh, Cool customer. He, uh, you know, he doesn't give too much away, but he's uh, he's learning on the job all the time. Really takes a great interest in his opposition players and you know the players that have gone on before him. Okay. So, mate, I just wanted to take you to your time as an international coach and ask you, I guess, a pretty broad question. Um, if there was any sort of lesson that you took away from from that stint, you know, what would it be for you personally? Well, I, I think certainly being in a national uh, environment was, was excellent for me as a coach from a learning experience. It certainly narrows the focus on what you need to be good at. You know, you don't have a lot of preparation time and, you know, really getting the core fundamentals that don't really, really change. And I think people would be surprised. You know, you don't get a lot of training time. You sort of, you know, Monday, Monday, they be a bit of organisation. You get a bit of team stuff on uh, Tuesday some units work and then Thursday it's uh, train again so I was looking after defence so you might have you know 35 minutes maybe for the week you know 40 minutes to, to get things in place to be able to play you know with the, with maybe uh, you know a week's lead in at some stage so to really narrow the focus and really understand what works and trust the players that are coming from good backgrounds and you're really you know relying on those provincial coaches or mm. uh, uh, that to have a lot of that groundwork done, you, you're there to put some systems in place, run a really good environment and be able to back the players to be able to do that. So it's more of the off-field things and being able to get information through, through meetings and you know, certainly setting a standard with regard to how the players approach playing for the Wallabies and you know, the environment that they want to create are really important um, parts of uh, you know, the, whole, the holistic approach to the program, more so than some of the on-field on stuff. They need a direction to go that you know, you need to back the other areas to make sure that you set up a really good platform and environment for them to succeed. Yeah. So, I mean, you've touched you know, you've touched on it there. I guess it's the big talking point of the moment, which is the whole... The, people are calling it the first 15, um, you know, over the, over there in Dublin um, sort of overnight. Is, is that a hard thing to kind of balance out when you're coaching a group of, you know, adult men like that and you're on, especially if you're on tour i mean you know is, is it a is it a tough thing to get right you know lenient you know letting giving people a bit of time off the leash with their responsibilities yeah look i think it just depends on how, it, how it's how it's all set up and how it's uh how it's discussed and how it's portrayed and you know people know exactly where they stand and you know I, i've only just I heard about it this morning. I haven't really read anything about it. And people have been talking about it, so I don't have a lot of information of the how, when, and the in, inside of, of what actually occurred. But I think if everyone's on the same page and very clear of expectations, and you know, reading what's uh, you know, you and first 
words on it. I think that was really clearly explained, and I think all he's done is just followed up on it, and I think they've done a fantastic job. Okay. So, mate, um, the other last question I was just going to ask you is still back in that international level. I mean, just thinking back on your time there with around the Lions, obviously, and mm-hmm. um, an incredibly tight, you know, it couldn't have been tighter, really, of a, of a series, up until the last 30 minutes. And I think I was even at the ground, and I think we're all mm-hmm. on the edge of our seats thinking, geez, this is going to go to the wire. Um, and then it just kind of, it kind of blew open in that last 30 uh, do you have any? What's your thinking on why that happened? How how was it such an arm wrestle, right up until that fiftieth minute, and then changed so dramatically? Yeah, it did. And you know, you look through. You know, you sort of bring that sort of historical perspective right through. You know, from the from the first test, you know, we probably you know had really good opportunities to win the game. And you know, obviously in the second test, you know, the, the Lions obviously had the opportunity to win the game at the end. They ended up one all going in. But look, I think we were we were weren't great from really from the kickoff. To be fair, and I think when you're in games there that are such hard fought and they're on a, you know especially grand finals and stuff, you do see sides. We really weren't in the contest at all. Really from the start, we were just hanging in there, really all all the way through. And I think what you saw in the in the last thirty was accumulation of the work that the Lions mm-hmm. uh, had pumped into us and. What we'd done ourselves was just accumulation of that by the back end of it. Mm. Once they'd broken a little bit, it was very, very difficult to stem the tide. And I think, you know, you know, obviously we're beaten in, in all areas around the field, but once that set piece and once you start losing that, uh, that tackle contest around, you're just sort of hanging on, hanging on. And I just think, you know, we lost our grip on it by the end of it. And, you know, we were beaten by an overrun side that got more confident as the game went on, I think. Watching early on, I think they were sort of they were probably a bit like us, you know, feeling out and see who's come to, you know, which which you shouldn't need to do, or you shouldn't be doing, but what warning out and seeing who's going to step up and who's going to want it more, and they, you know, grew confidence from the start, three to seven to ten, um, you know, the thirteen gave them a lot of confidence, and we sort of clawed our way back in, but weren't really there, and then uh, they just certainly kicked away with the pressure that they built up, and that's. You see that a lot. It's an 80-minute game, and we, we sort of hung in there for 50, but we weren't really close enough, to be fair. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, mate, look, I really appreciate your time um, and, and having a good chat like this. Um, good luck for the season. I think everyone who watched the Rebels have, have, over the last uh, season or two have just thought they can play some of the most sublime rugby. So if you can harness some of that, you'll be a happy man, I would have thought. No, absolutely, Matt. And, you know, there's a, there's a huge buzz down here. You know, you know, Rob Clark coming in as CEO. We got a, you know, the staff are really keen. We're really, you know, pushing on our members to get uh, signed up. Players are really keen, and you know, we're really looking forward to continue to build on the good work that's gone on before us. Good one. All right, mate. Well, hopefully, maybe talk to you during the season. But thanks very much for coming on. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, so good to hear. Good to hear from uh, Tony McGann there. Uh, some interesting perspectives, especially on I thought the Lions and that sort of stuff. But um, anyway, yep, uh, Timsy, you're gonna. And what what a stellar interview it was by you too, Matt. You you did a bloody good job there. Thanks, guys. I mean, you kept trying to get in with comments. I hope you didn't mind me, ca- you know, that I kept kind of talking over you. No, right. that's okay. Look, when you when there's a maestro at work, you just step back and I watch. Know. Well, I was in. Oh, the in day. this case, listen. I was in. Yeah, the I was. 
Yeah, I noticed you were in the zone and just sat there and reveled in it. I was just glad to hear it live. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a privilege when that's when you when you can be there for something like that. Such an intimate audience, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, thanks, boys. Good to talk to you. Thanks, everybody, for downloading and um, letting us talk to you. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week. I guess next week, could it be the last one? Um, well, and we could hopefully have broken the Scotland hoodoo that's been haunting us for so long. Yeah, okay. was the pro- last time we beat them in 2003? I'm trying to think it through. 2003? <laughs> Couldn't it be that long ago? We, we I saw some old, I saw some grainy, some grainy black and white footage the other day so, <laughs> of us celebrating a win over the back Scots. The so I think it must have been, yeah. oh, An old leather ball. Well, let's hope, let's hope we've broken the hoodoo. There we go. The Lynx rain has finally come in. All right, boys, I'll speak to you later. Cheerio. Okay. Bye. Seven left. Seven left.